Welcome to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Dr. Rutland is a world-renowned leadership expert. He is a New York Times best-selling author, and he has served as the president of two universities. The Leader's Notebook is brought to you by Global Servants. For more information about Global Servants, please visit our website, globalservants.org. Here is your host, Dr. Mark Rutland. If you have your Bibles, if you will take those and turn to the book of Luke, it is no coincidence that Luke the physician is so fascinated with the healing ministry of Jesus. On a Wednesday night earlier last year, we had a wonderful healing service here, and at that time I said to you, occasionally, I just want to speak on healing. I want there just to be a healing service. Tonight as we consider the second part of this brief little two-part series on the Lord's Prayer and the 23rd Psalm, I want to talk about the healing implications of these two great passages of Scripture. But let's read first from Luke chapter 5, if you have your Bibles, beginning with verse 17. Luke 5 and 17. And it came to pass on a certain day, as Jesus was teaching, that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who were come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present for him to heal them. Can I just ask you to make a note of that, either mentally or with a pen or something? The, the power of the Lord was present to heal them. I just make a note of it because there is no record that any of them got healed. It's just that the power of the Lord was present for Jesus to heal them. Verse 18, and behold, men brought in a bed a man who was taken with palsy, and they sought means to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. And when they could not find by what way they might bring him in because of the multitude, they went up on the housetop and let him down through the tiling with his couch into the midst before Jesus. When he saw their faith, he said unto them, man, thy sins are forgiven thee. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this who speaketh blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answering said unto them, Why reason ye in your hearts, which is easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Rise up and walk? But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath authority upon earth to forgive sins. Here he spoke to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, take up thy couch and go into thine house. And immediately he rose up before them and took up that on which he lay and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed and they glorified God and were filled with fear, saying, we have seen strange things today. I don't know if you were here on Sunday, but I'm going to tell you something. The Lord blessed us through our pastor with one of the most powerful, engaging, and convicting messages on the power of worship. And I, I, if you have not gotten that message, I hope you will do it. But what I want you to do right now is lift your hands up and for just a moment, worship God. Just worship Him. Open your mouth. Open your mouth. Magnify the Lord with me. Go on, praise Him. Worship Him. He brings His chair and sets it in the midst of the worship of his people. Lord, we thank you that you inhabit the praises of your people. And we welcome you. We welcome you, Lord. We praise you. Toda rodilla se doblará y toda lengua confesará y dirá que Cristo es el Señor. 
Lord, we praise you that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to your glory forever and ever. Amen. And we thank you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, who taught us to pray by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now say with me the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Go on and praise him in this place. Magnify the Lord. Praise his holy name. In both of these magnificent pieces of scripture, the Lord's Prayer, or uh, as is known in other circles, the Our Father, both begin with a sense of the fatherhood, the shepherding fatherhood of Almighty God. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my father. Our father, our shepherd. And both end with a sense of eternity. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, I'm going to come with, in just a moment, with some thoughts on what's in between there. But I, I want to begin with that part. The Father, Shepherd, and the eternal glory of God in which we will share, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Someday, here at Free Chapel, I, I appreciate Brother Franklin, the liberty that he has given me. He has never hemmed me in or limited me or propped me up. He just, all he ever said was, sick him. <laughs> but sometime here, I, I know it may seem like a strange message, but sometime here on a Wednesday night, I, I want to just speak on a Christian theology of death. Sometimes I get afraid that in the Christian community, particularly in the, in the Pentecostal and charismatic in the spirit-filled world, sometimes we concentrate so much on the healing power of God that we cannot have a full, robust view of life, healing, health, and death. I want to say something to you. Death is not the worst thing that can happen to a Christian. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We're going to talk about healing now. We're going to talk about healing, but I need you to hear this. You hear people angry at God. Well, we prayed for my grandfather. We prayed. We prayed he had cancer. He was 86, served the Lord for 79 years. 
And we prayed and believed God and anointed him with oil. And grandpa died. And he's in his glorified body and living in heaven, walking on golden streets, looking at Jesus. Isn't that terrible? Well, no wonder you're mad at God. We, we need to have this. This is kind of the, the Christian ace in the hole. And that is, I'm going to believe God. I'm going to do exactly what Scripture says. I'm going to anoint the sick with oil. I'm going to believe. I'm going to claim it by faith. I'm going to walk in faith. But at the end of the whole thing, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Forever. One time we had a wonderful healing service and a lady got healed, and a guy came up to me afterward, and he said, how do you know that's not a temporary healing? How do you know this? I said, it is. He said, what? I said, all, all healings are temporary. He said, Jesus, healings weren't temporary. I said, is that right? Show me Lazarus. <laughs> Where, where's Lazarus? I'd like, Because I'd like to talk to him, you know? No, Lazarus died, you know, like again. He walked in the door. All the angels said, oh, you're back. <laughs> now, I am not making light of it. I'm not making light of it. We stand on this side of the door. We stand on this side of the door. And there's nothing wrong with, with the sense of loss, the tears, the, because they're telling us goodbye. They're, on the, they're going through, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. For thine is the kingdom and power and glory forever and ever. We can't even begin to dilate our imagination wide enough to comprehend what they experience the minute they walk through the door. But we're on this side. I just got an email uh, through Free Chapel from a precious brother in Puerto Rico who is joining with us, part of our extended worldwide campus, tens of thousands of people that are part of Free Chapel through the internet. And he is in the fast with us. He has lost his wife. His wife has gone through that door and into heaven. And he said, that the grief of that is real to me. But he said, I want to tell you something. This fast, the Lord's Prayer, the 23rd Psalm, he said, it has never been as rich and sustaining to me as it is this year. That's a, that's a wonderful thing to hear. Now, having said all that, let's, let's look at this. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. On last Wednesday night, I quoted Dr. Steve Green, who said that another way to talk about righteousness is right thinking. He leads me in a life path where I think correctly. I think right. In other words, can I give you the revised Rutland translation? He heals my mind. He heals my mind. You know that there is a certain level of truth that everybody in the whole world is getting healed from something. There are things that happen to us in life terrible things, outrageous things, minor wounds that, 
that seem like nothing, but they wound, they stick, they hold, and it can, it can really destroy our minds. But Jesus enters into that and restores right thinking and inner healing in a wonderful way. I, I was in a small church in Covington, Georgia, uh, some years ago, and there was an elderly man that came to the altar, and he was weeping so copiously. And when I came over to him, I, I just sensed in my mind that I was supposed to say a certain thing to him. But it just, just didn't seem to make a lot of sense to me. I just sensed I should speak to him. I'm trying to learn to be obedient to those things. But what I've learned is this, you offer it to people. You offer it to people. If you get high-handed with people, the Lord has told me, just go over to him gently and easily. And I said, you know, friend, when I started over here to you, I had the strangest thought. <laughs> you know, you know. then you can cover your tracks. <laughs> I said, I just had the strangest thought. And I said, it may have no meaning to you at all. But when I came over here, I felt like the Lord said, Give the child to me. It wasn't your fault. And he collapsed. He fell on that communion rail like somebody had hit him in the head with a hammer. And two men came and took him into a Sunday school room, and I went in there with him. And he said, have you talked to my wife? I said, sir, I don't know who you are. I may have talked to your wife, but I don't know. I know nothing about this. He said, Dr. Rutland, I am a World War II veteran. I am in my 80s. And he said, I have not had a decent night's sleep since 1943. He said, I am tortured. I am tortured. And I said, what is it? He said, I'm going to tell you something I've never told anything but my wife. But when I wake up in the middle of the night screaming, she had to know what it was about. He said, I'm a demolition, I was a demolitions expert for the Marines in the Philippines. He said there was a certain uh, enemy machine gun nest that had a big wall around it and a, and a fence, a gate. And he said, we had what were called uh, baton uh, explosives. And he said, I would snake it through the jungle like this and then attach on this end. The detonator was on the far end and attach it, and attach it. And he said, I ran it all the way through. And when I thought it was up against the gate, he said, I raised back like this, and he said, I had to ram it against the gate. He's weeping. He was weeping. And he said, I had to ram it against that gate, but I wanted to make sure I was at the gate. So I lifted my head up and ran the risk of being shot just to make sure that it was going to hit that gate and blow it off. And he said, just as I lifted my head up and rammed, he said, I saw that the enemy had strapped civilians against the gate. And he said, I blew that gate off. And he was beginning to weep. And he said, a child's arm hit me across my face. And he said, I looked at that little arm and he said, I have lived my life on the edge of madness. I've lived my life on the edge of madness. He said, I have nearly lost my mind. And I said, then let's think what God just said to you. There are seven and a half billion people on this planet. I want you to hear that God just spoke to you. And he said, Give me the child. It wasn't your fault. 
And he began to pray. He said, God, I want to. I want to. I want to give you the child. And he looked up at me and he said, I just can't do it. I said, will you just do this one thing? Will you give him that child's arm? Will you just give him that? And he lifted his hands up and he said, here, Lord, take this little arm. Take this little arm. And the Spirit of God came on that old man and he began to pray. He began to praise. He lifted his hands up. He threw his arms around me. You know, I want to tell you something. It's not the most wonderful thing in the world to be kissed by an 85-year-old man. <laughs> that, that is not the dream of my life. He was hugging me. He was kissing me. He said, I'm going to call you tomorrow. Please let me call you tomorrow. He called me the next morning. And he said, Dr. Utland, I need to tell you something. He said, I wanted to call you tomorrow for one reason. He said, I had no nightmare last night. He not only heals our conscious mind, he heals our subconscious mind. He deals with who we are deep down inside, at times at places where we don't even know we're wounded where we don't even know what it is, where we have put something so far away from us, pushed it so far under the rug, hidden from it so long that we convince ourselves subconsciously that it wasn't even real. One of the powers, the healing virtues of counseling is to bring that up and bring it into the presence of God and allow God to bring his healing virtue. He will lead us into the paths of right thinking. He heals our innermost selves. Look at this passage that we just read from the book of Luke. This man is taken up onto the roof. His friends pull away a hole in the roof and lower him into the presence of Jesus. Now, you know, sometimes we read these stories and we're not thinking about what it would have been like. You're in the middle of your sermon. The place is packed. Remember what it told us about the audience? This is a sophisticated theological audience. Scribes, Pharisees, doctors of theological law, packed, so just full. And Jesus is lecturing them. And all of a sudden, yeet! You know? I don't know what you believe about Jesus, but I think Jesus said, whoa. <laughs> the first elevator. And the room, all the oxygen goes out of the room. Everybody is asking themselves one question. What is Jesus famous for already at this time? Healing. Healing. Healing miracles. Everybody is just on the edge of their seats. Will he heal him? Will he heal him? Are we about to see a miracle? Will he heal him? The guy's on the roof. Is he going to heal him? And Jesus says, be of good comfort, my son. Your sins are forgiven. You know what? We don't know what the guys on the roof said, but I think I know. I think they said, boo! Don't tell him his sins are forgiven. Look at him. He can't even move. How wicked can he be? <laughs> Heal him. The people in the room are filled with judgment. Why, this blasphemer... They actually make a profound theological statement about the Trinity in that room. Do you hear it? Did you hear it? Nobody can forgive sins except God alone. 
Jesus said, you know, you're right. (laughs) Wow. Out of the mouths of Pharisees. And Jesus says, but that you may know I have the power to forgive sins. Rise and be healed. Now, I don't know all that's happening there, but I know two things. One is there is an inner healing that takes place in that man before the outer healing is manifested. I don't know what's gone wrong in that man's life. We don't know. We have no insight. What I know is Jesus discerned that the greater crippling power in his life was his sense of guilt and condemnation, that that had to be relieved first before he could. He had to get into the realm of forgiveness before he could get into the realm of sustained physical healing. Jesus has to take us there. There are people in this room, there are people that are watching on the internet, there are people within the sound of my voice that are living their lives twisted up in knots inside in the realm of unforgiveness. And and everything, everything, the extremities of that, the, the extrapolation of that, all the hurt, all the anger, it pours out of them. I was in the, um, in a certain church in Augusta, Georgia. And before the service, the pastor brought a lady into the study and he said, Dr. Alton, this lady suffers from horrible migraine headaches. She'd like us to pray for her. She said, you know, it's not just migraine headaches. She said, I am sick all the time. And she said, these migraines are totally debilitating. She says, it's not like a bad headache. I've never had one, so I don't know. She says, not like a bad headache. It's not what you think. She said, I am debilitated for two days, and it takes me two days to get over them. She said, it's the most horrible thing. And she said, it's not just that. It's all kinds. She said, I'm sick all the time. Will you please pray for me? So the pastor had a bottle of oil and anointed her. We laid our hands on her head. And when we did, I, I just had a picture in my mind, not a vision or anything. I don't know how to describe it to you. If you will... Everybody in the room, if you'll just close your eyes real quick and think of a horse. Now open your eyes. Okay, that thought, just a picture came in my mind, but it was so clear and so unbidden, I felt it that it might be from the Lord. I said, now, ma'am, I just had the strangest picture in my mind, and I'm just going to tell you what it is. And if it's nothing, I said, look, I had strange things to eat yesterday, and <laughs> And I said, if, if you, you don't recognize it, I said, let me just tell you what I saw and see if it means anything to you. I said, I saw a little girl about 9, 10, 11, something like that, in a little blue dress and had a white lace collar. I saw it just as clear as anything. And she was standing on the back porch of a house, staring at the door with her little fist clenched up against her chest and tears in her eyes. I said, would that have any possible meaning to you? She said, I know exactly what it is. She said, that's my 10th birthday. She said, I'm the sixth of five children, five older brothers. My older brother was 10 when I was born and 20 on my 10th birthday. On my, she said, I knew my whole life my mother never wanted me. I was an accident. I was unwanted. I was unloved. I was rejected. The five boys were what she loved. And she said, on my 10th birthday, I got two presents. She said, I got a navy blue dress with a white doily collar from the next door neighbor, and I put it on and wore it, but it infuriated me that it was from a neighbor and not from my mother. She said, the other thing was, I got a $10 bill from an out-of-town aunt, 
And when I opened it at the breakfast table, my mother reached across the breakfast table and snatched it out of my hand and said, what does a little girl need with $10? And jerked it out of my hand and gave it to my 20-year-old brother. And she said, I jumped up from the breakfast table and ran onto the back porch and slammed the door. And her face and her voice changed before our eyes. She clenched her fists up against her chest and she cried out in the voice of a small child, I hate you, I hate you. When she opened her eyes, she said, you know, come to think of it, I've been sick since that day. You know, we were able to pray with her, begin counseling with her and then take her into counseling and she came to a wonderful victory over a period of time. But we could have spent 15 years in psychotherapy and not reached that point. But Jesus knew right where to put his finger. Forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. That's not just a plea for forgiveness. It's a plea for healing. Now, I told you that there were two things I knew about this man being healed. The first was that... There was inner healing as well as outer healing. The second thing I see is that there was process. There was process. He said, your sins are forgiven. Then he says, rise and be healed. That's the statement. Then the man, faith arises and the man does obey. There's a process there. It seems abbreviated to us and and short. So it seems like an immediate miracle, but there is process. You know, we forget that Jesus used process healing. We want everything to be an instant miracle or it's not valid. But Jesus used process healing. Do you remember the man born blind? Jesus prays for him. And then Jesus asks the one question nobody in church wants to ask anymore. So obvious. You pray with somebody who's blind. (laughs) Can you? Yes, come on. Can you see? Yeah, but we don't ask anymore. Do you know why? We don't want to know. We say, claim your healing by faith and leave by the side door because we don't want to know. But why can't we say we're going to be with you in the life process of healing in the power of God? We may not see it all at one time, but we're in this process with you. When that man says, well, Jesus, can you see? He said, well... I guess there's some improvement. I can tell light from darkness, but it's just fuzzy shapes. I'm not going to get a driver's license doing this. I can. Oh, if he had been in some of our meetings, Jesus, just rebuke him. Why? You don't have any better confession than that. You just get out of here. But not Jesus. What did Jesus do? Does anybody know what did Jesus do? He prayed again. Now, I don't know if that comforts anybody. But I like knowing that the Son of God had to ask twice. Our, uh, our middle child, Rosemary, was born with a, a tear duct in her eye that was sealed. And uh, the doctor told us it'll, it'll have to be cut open. Um, but he said, we don't want to do that eye surgery till she's two years old. So he said, uh, just every morning, clean her eye out. Every morning, Allison, clean all that old mucus out, and it would dry, and her little eye would be caked shut every morning because uh, she had no tear duct to wash it out. 
But we entered in to two years of saturation prayer. We laid hands on her three, four, five times a day. Every prayer at, uh, of grace at every meal, nighttime prayer. Her big brother Travis would lay hands on her. We prayed for her. Every visitor that came in our house, I would say, you know, how, how, why don't you pray for our daughter Rosemary? Two years. Two years we prayed, just pouring prayer on that child. On her second birthday, my beautiful wife sitting right in the front row, on her second birthday, we waked up and there was a perfectly formed, beautiful tear duct right in her eye. Two years. So there's, a, there's miraculous healing. There's instantaneous healing. There's also process healing. When I uh, was pastoring in a certain church, I began to have terrible headaches, neck, everything. I went to the doctor, x-rays. He said, well, he said, Pastor, you have terrible degenerative disc disease in your spine. And he said, I'm going to tell you the bad news. He said, you're going to wind up in a wheelchair. You'll have surgeries. But he said, you're in bad shape. I was terribly depressed. He gave me his collar with a rope, hang it up over the hanging up over the door with sandbags hanging on the other side, you know, and sitting there pulling your head up and you're calling, don't open, don't open the door. Nobody opened daddy's door. It was awful. It's terrible. And it would just relieve me on Sunday morning. I'd have to get up early and sit in this contraption and it would only relieve me long enough to go across the street to the church and preach and then get back to my house and get in it again. One night I went to a Elderly ladies prayer meeting. And I was kind of scrunched. They said, Pastor, what's wrong with you? I said, oh, I've got this disc disease and I'm just in terrible pain. <laughs> oh, let me tell you so. Man, those old ladies fell on me. They said, kneel down. <laughs> and I don't think they prayed. I think they commanded God. <laughs> they said, Look, this is our pastor. And they prayed. Listen, let me tell you something. You say whatever you want to. You, you get in a bind. You get you some old ladies to pray for you. When I got up, I said, you know, I feel great. I went the next morning back to my orthopedic surgeon. They took new x-rays. He came out. He said, I don't know how to apologize to you. He said, I, I don't even know what to say. He said, the last x-rays were completely wrong. He said, you're, you're clear. You're clear. He said, I, it's awful. He said, I don't know whether I looked at the wrong x-rays. I don't know what it is. But they're completely. And he said, I apologize. I said, this, this had nothing to do with you. And I said, let me tell you something else. The X, the first x-rays weren't wrong. I said, this was between God and eight old ladies. Why, why, didn't, why didn't I have to be bathed and saturated in prayer for two years and every meal and five times a day? Why didn't that last two years? What about, why did poor little Rosemary wait two years to that second birthday and receive... Why didn't, why did this miracle happen this way and this process happen that way? <laughs> Beats me. 
You know, when I began in the ministry, I felt somehow or another obligated to have answers. Isn't it great to come to that point of liberty where you say, Jesus is Lord. He heals our mind. He heals our thinking. He heals our fears. He he heals our bodies. He heals our inner selves. He heals those places that are abscessed with bitterness and unforgiveness and the outrageous wounds that have been committed against us that have gone on festering year after year after year after year. He heals because he's a healing God. Between the fatherhood of God and the eternity of God is the providential, loving, healing power of Christ. We live lives of healing grace. He is a healing, loving God. Every time you pray the Lord's Prayer, it's a healing prayer. Every time you say the 23rd Psalm, it's a healing passage of Scripture because it is the Word of God from a loving and healing God. Now, let me just conclude with this if I can. Listen to this. God is so wonderful, the smallest thing. This month, last year, I preached uh, Holy Spirit services at the First United Methodist Church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Dr. Wade Paschal, pastor. The first night, a healing service, and a lady came forward to pray for healing. And again, when I stretched my hands out to her, the strangest thought came in my mind. I said, now, ma'am, I'm just going to tell you the thought that came in my mind. If it's not from the Lord, you tell me. I said, the Lord seems to want me to tell you that you have his permission to be happy again. She and another lady prayed there, and I went on. I didn't even pray for her. I was There were other people praying in the altar. The next night when we came for the service, Dr. Pascal said, A woman was deeply touched in this service last night and received a miraculous healing. She's going to give us her testimony right now. And that lady stepped to the pulpit and she said, Last year, I lost my son and my mother and my husband. And she said, I felt that the only appropriate response was to live in the clutch of grief. And she said, Last night, God spoke to me that I have his permission to be happy again. Now somebody prays to receive Christ as their Savior. Are they born again or are they healed? Yes. Somebody lives a Christian life without power and without joy and without grace and no fullness and they receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Are they filled with the Holy Spirit or are they healed? Yes. Somebody lives in deep, outrageous hurt over a grievous thing that happened to them as a child. And they can't seem to overcome the shame and they act out occasionally and they live hurt and wounded and depressed And they receive salvation and then they receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and then they go through two years of healing until finally they find the liberty of the Lord to live in deliverance from all of that and the nightmares are all gone and the bondage ceases. Are they saved or filled with the Holy Spirit or delivered or healed? Yes. Yes. 
Jesus is the eternal yes. He is the eternal yes. You've been listening to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review today's podcast. You can follow Dr. Rutland on Twitter at Dr. Mark Rutland or visit his website, drmarkrutland.com. Join us next week for another episode of The Leader's Notebook.